0: Well, good morning, church. It is good to be in the house of the Lord today. I, I, I'm I excited to be back with you a second week in a row. Last week was unplanned. As I told you guys, Aaron was a little uh, under the weather, and he, he called and asked me to step in last week. But this this week was planned. I was always supposed to uh, preach this message. Aaron uh, you guys will be glad to know he's feeling much better. He was mostly recovered by Monday and uh, he is actually headed to Florida to visit his family. And so uh, many of you guys that have family elsewhere in the country know that um, Christmas is sometimes a time where uh, you feel far away from folks. And so he wanted to take uh, this coming week uh, between Christmas and New Year's, and go and visit his family in Florida, and so um, we'll be praying for him as they travel, and you know, of course, for sweet time uh, as a family together. But that means that I get the privilege of finishing out this series uh, this this morning for the last several weeks, as we've been talking about this King that is coming. We called this series "Come Now, the King," because we started by talking about the King that will come. Right? We talked about all the all the promises that we see all throughout Scripture. Of this Messiah this King that will come and then the next week we moved on to talking about the King is coming right we started to look at the actual coming of the King that we see recorded at the beginning of the gospel this is really God beginning to fulfill this promise that he made over thousands of years he's in the in the act of fulfilling it as this King is coming and then last week we looked at the king that, that has come, right? If you, if you remember, if you were here last week, we looked at this king that was born, and we started to see what was happening in, in and around the world as this king entered into it. And for many of us, that's sort of where Christmas ends, right? Like, that's, that's if we think about in our minds, much like last week when we talked about in our minds that picture of the nativity that we have, the picture of our, of our minds, in our minds of Christmas, sort of ends with the beginning of the Gospels and this telling of the birth of the Christ child. And yet, we've got one more message that's left in this series because the truth is, is this, this story, this story of hope, is not just about the King who has come once, but it's also about the King who will come again. Uh, and 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 we can't distance ourselves from that. We can't even allow Christmas, as we focus on the birth, to separate us from the fact that we have a King who has told us that He is coming again. And you know, it's really interesting because I, over the last couple of weeks, as I was, like I said, this this was planned. So as I started to prepare for this message, and I had the pleasure of being able to listen to Christmas music. Now, I'd, I'd, my wife, uh, she's sitting in the other room with with our kids, which. Um, By the way, I just would invite any of you guys, if you have little ones, if they get squeamish, you don't have to take them in there, but you're welcome to. we got a room in the back. You can see everything, and you can let them run around if you want to uh, and act crazy. You can let them run around in here and act crazy if you want to. That's fine with me, too. Uh, But you might not be comfortable with that, so there's also a room back there as well. But my wife loves all types of Christmas music. I'm not partial to jingle bells and stuff like that I it just when that starts coming on the radio like at the beginning of the christmas season I'm like all right we're going to have to turn off the radio like i i can't i can't deal with it uh maybe that's the the scrooge she would tell you i'm a little bit of a i'm a little bit of a grinch uh a little bit of a ebenezer but uh but but christian christmas music i I really enjoy i really enjoy the songs of hope and the songs of joy as we think about this coming birth this birth of this child that would change the dynamic of human history forever the songs that are thinking about that and meditating on that I, i love to sing but it got me wondering as i was thinking about this king that would come again is that the same way that we look at the second coming As we think about the condition that the world found itself in in the first coming, this Messiah had been promised. The people of God longed to be rescued from the oppression that they found themselves in. And for centuries and millennia, they hoped for this Christ that would come and rescue them. Is that the same mentality that we have now? Do we look at the world that is around us? Do we look at the place that we find ourselves in? And is the message that our King is coming again one that fills us with hope that we might be rescued from this world once and for all? Or is it a, a message that fills us with anxiety? Is it a message that fills us with a little bit of trepidation? Is, it, is, is, our, is our hold so tight on this world that it's a little bit of a, a hard thought for us to think about letting go of it? Or can we, can we sing those Christmas songs knowing that there is a king who is coming again to rescue us from this place that we find ourselves in? And so that's where we're going to look this morning in Acts chapter 1. I, I, I'll be honest, as, uh, as our, our former missions pastor before I became our associate pastor, I, um, I've looked at Acts chapter 1 a lot of times. Acts 1.8 is, is a foundational verse as we think about our call to missions, but this is going to be a first preaching it, looking at the whole text. And, and I think it's great because what we find is that that little, one little verse in Acts one is nestled into a bigger instruction on behalf of Christ. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. We're going to focus most of our time on, on 6 through 11, but I just want to read the introduction to you because it sets up for us to understand what it is that Jesus is talking about. So in Acts chapter 1... but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So in this introduction, what we start to see is that Luke is painting this picture of the Christ who was crucified, Jesus having been to the cross, having been resurrected. And then what does Luke say? Well, over the period of 40 days, he appears Uh, in different places and in different circumstances to his disciples, and he offers them many proofs of who he is, proving to them that he is, in fact, the resurrected Christ, and he teaches them in many things, and he instructs them to sit and to wait on the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this is where we're going to focus our time this morning. So when, in verse 6, they had come together, they asked him, "'Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel?' He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and he said, and they said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your word that is alive. Lord, your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, that cuts both through bone and to marrow, Lord, and cuts us to the deep, Lord, and reveals where we're far apart from what you have told us. God, would you speak to us through this time, Lord? Would you speak directly to our hearts, Lord? And would you illuminate the dark spots? Help us to see you clearly and in seeing you more clearly, Lord, to desire to be more and more like your son. Speak through this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so as we look at this, this, this scene that occurs between Christ and his disciples, really the last thing that we see Christ do before being taken up into heaven and being seated at the right hand of the Father, there's just a few things that I want us to see about this king that is coming again. The first thing that I want us to see is that he hasn't given us a timeline. You see, the disciples' question is much like our question right? Lord, when, when are you going to come? When are you going to come and restore your kingdom? They, they want to know, when, when is this thing that we've been promised? We see, we have now seen because of the proofs that you've offered us, that your first coming is not at all like what we expected, right? You came for the forgiveness of sins, but when are you coming again? When are you coming again to set right all the things that God has promised? And yet, We don't get an answer. Jesus does not answer this question with a date and a time. In fact, he tells them it's not for them to know. He says it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that are fixed by the Father in his own authority. And so he hasn't given us a timeline. There is not a way for us to know, no matter what somebody on TV tells you. There is not a way for us to know when Christ is coming again. That's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is not for us to look for things, or even the book of Revelation is not the point for us to look for things that might say, here and when is when the Christ is coming, because the time is not determined by world events. That's, it's clear. Everywhere that Jesus taught on the subject of his second coming, it is not determined by world events. Those things just make it really clear that he is coming. And so, if we're set on looking for world events, we're going to miss. We're going to miss what what God has intended because he hasn't given us a timeline. And it's not determined by world events. You know what what's told to us in 2nd Peter is that he'll come what? Like a thief in the night. And the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth and this works that are done on it, will be exposed. So it will come, and everybody will see, but it will not be because this thing has happened in the world or that thing has happened in the world. So we need to stop looking for signs, church. That's, I, I really want you to hear that. Stop looking for this thing means that Christ is coming back or that thing means that Christ is coming back because none of us are going to miss it. In fact, it's not something that can be predicted, but it's also not something that can be missed. And, I, I, you know, what Jesus said himself, I think, points to that. If you guys want to, you know how I like to do, we're going to get a little uh, biblical workout this morning. So if you want to flip over to Matthew chapter 24, we're going to spend a couple of minutes here looking at some passages there. I, I, this is from Jesus' own mouth about his second coming to prove that there, there, is no, there is no missing it, but there's also no predicting it. Matthew 24 and in verse 21, it says, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. And if they say to you, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and it shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And so Jesus himself, before he even went to the cross, as he was teaching his disciples, knew that there would be questions about the second coming. But he's made it clear when it happens we'll know and until then we won't. That's I mean that's that's I don't know another way to look at it. <laughs> when it happens you're going to know and until then it's not and nobody will. And there will be people that say that they see it coming, but don't believe them. Because it's not determined by world events. It's not something that can be predicted, it's also not something that can be missed. And also because the time is fixed by the Father's authority. That's what we saw there in Acts chapter 1. He said that the time or the seasons are not for you to know. They're fixed by the Father's own authority. And if you still got your finger there in Matthew 24, if you just look down a little bit to verse 36, this is what Jesus goes on to say. He says, But concerning that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so it will be concerning the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and they were drinking and they were marrying and they were giving in marriage until the day when Noah went into the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. So it's not determined by world events. It is fixed by the Father's authority. Nobody... Nobody, Christ is clear, nobody but the Father knows when it will happen, not even the angels. It is absolutely God the Father's timing. So we don't know when it's going to happen, but what, what do we know? I think we do know that the time is short. We know that we are in the last days, and you're like, John... You just told me that we can't know. You just told me that there's no sign. And now you're, and not to listen to anybody that tells you that Christ is coming back today or tomorrow because they don't know. And now you told me we're in the last days. Well, that's because every moment since Christ left and went to heaven, every moment that we have been bathed in the Spirit, Every moment that we've looked around and seen all manner of apostasy, all manner of deception, all manner of godliness, the Bible says that those are the last days. And the last days last from the time that he left until the time that he returned. And so I'm not telling you that it's today. I'm telling you that these are the last days. And it might be. And it might be tomorrow. And we do not know, and no one but the Father does. And the time is short. If you don't believe me, Again, I, I, I don't know why I'll apologize. I'm, I'm not going to apologize. You're just going to get a workout. Flip over to Second Timothy chapter 3. and Paul says to Timothy, but understand this, that in the last days, this is verse 1 of chapter 3, there will come times of difficulty. Okay, in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. Let's look and see if this sounds like the last days that we are in. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money proud arrogant abusive disobedient to their parents my kids i think you can i think you can see me on the screen in the fellowship hall i'm just just saying <laughs> disobedient to their parents one more time okay disobedient to their parents all right ungrateful unholy heartless So, we know that we are in the last days. And like I said, the last days consume everything that happens from the time that Christ left until the time that he returns again. And so, if we know that we don't know the time, but we do know that we know that we are in the last days, what are we to do? What are we to do? I think we're to stay on guard. That, that's what we're to do. We're to look around and we're to recognize that we are in the last days and we're to stay on guard. And, and Jesus spoke to this too. And I, you won't have to flip there. I'll just read it to you in Luke. In Luke chapter 21. When I get there. Maybe. There we go. In Luke chapter 21, in verse 34 and th- through 36, he says, But watch yourselves. And and this is actually following directly teaching in the book of Luke on what to look for in those last days. But Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, that that day may come upon you suddenly, like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times." praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And so Jesus says, as he teaches on this subject, no, you don't know when it's going to happen. Yes, these are the last days, but yes, these have been the last days for the last 2,000 years. And it's tempting. It's tempting to think that it might be the last days for another 2,000 years, but that's not the instruction The reason that we are told that we don't know the day or the time or the place and only the Father knows is so that we don't focus on when it will be, but we focus on that it will be. And then we watch ourselves and we stay on guard. And we get about the business of what God has told us to do. That's the the thing that I want you to see next if you guys remember from all of this flipping that we'd been doing, we actually started in Acts chapter 1, and that's what this sermon is on. But Christ tells them that they're not going to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by their own authority. He hasn't given us a timeline was our first point, but He, he follows that up by giving them an instruction He tells them it's not for you to know these things, but instead, here is an instruction I have for you. And so that's, church, what I want you to know is that it's not for us to know. It's not for us to look and to speculate. It's for us to stay on guard and keep watch and know that it could be any moment. And because of that, we get about the business that he has given us because he has given us a timeline, but he has given us a mission. Look at it. It's right there. It's that... that, That old verse 8 that I told you spent a lot of time talking about and thinking about is foundational to uh, really any church that's missional. It's foundational to their missional strategy. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so he hasn't responded to tell us when these things were going to happen. Instead, he's responded to tell us what to do until they do. We're to be his witnesses. And here's the thing that is, is amazing about this mission. It's simple. You see, some people would look at this and they would see the uttermost parts of the earth and I, I, I'm guilty. I, I, I have a, a bent to do things that most people wouldn't do. That's my nature. When I see people running away from something, I want to run towards it. And so I look at the uttermost parts of the earth and I'm like, sweet, let's just start there. I mean, let's start as far away as possible and we'll just work our way back. That's not the instruction that we've been given. It's way more simple than that. And this becomes a map for what we see God do through the Holy Spirit and through the apostles in the book of Acts. This is exactly how they go about. You want to know how you reach the whole world with the gospel and you fulfill this mission that we've been given? What starts right where you're at? I mean, that's what Jesus is telling them. He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Start right where your feet are and be my witnesses to everybody that is around you until either you've told everybody or they've run you out of town because they're tired of listening to you. I and mean, that's, that's what happened with the disciples. They told everybody in, in Jerusalem until the persecution got so bad in Jerusalem that they had to go to other places And then that is how the gospel began to spread to other places. It is a simple instruction. It's not a complicated plan. Start with the people that you know right where you are and make sure that they have heard the gospel. You don't have any control on whether they believe it. That's not what he says. He he doesn't say you are to make converts from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says you're to be my witnesses. That just means that you proclaim that Christ did go to the cross, that he did die bearing your sins, that he was raised from the grave, and that he did make a way that you could be in right relationship with God, and that it has transformed your life. That's the story that you've been called to tell to the people that are around you. And then, and then only then, out of the overflow of that, does it spread to the next place. This is where we got it all backwards. I, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with getting reaching the ends of the world. We should. Absolutely, it's the instruction. There's an and there. It means all of those places. It doesn't say or, or, or. It says and, and, and. We should reach all of those places, but we've gotten it backwards by trying to reach the ends of the world before we try to reach our dying neighbor. And so the gospel goes to the people that are nearest to us, and then it overflows And it spreads to those that are around us. And it spreads beyond our community, but we got to start with our community. When Wendell and Nightdale and Zebulun and Flowers Plantation and Clayton and wherever the next churches are, when they have been transformed by the gospel, then it will overflow into the next place. And then it will reach into the next place. And then we will see more and more people that need to hear this message of hope. And so it starts right where we are. It spreads to those that are around us. But it doesn't stop until the whole earth hears. You see, again, we could be tempted the other way. We could be tempted to say, well, everybody I know is saved. All my family believes in Jesus. They're following him. Well... That's good enough for me. They all know, and yet the instruction is that it should spread until the whole earth hears. But again, it's not, it's not because we just get excited and we want to jump on a plane and we go to the, the other side of the world. Those are good things. Praise the Lord that there's people that are willing to do that. I'm, I'm one of those. But it comes from getting a heart for those people. And that happens when we get a heart for the gospel and we see people that need the gospel and we recognize that there is nobody there to tell them. You see, that's how we're to make it to the end of the earth. As we work in our communities, in our, in our own Jerusalem and in our Judea, as we work to impact the this, this state that we live in, this county, this area that we live in, and as we work to impact our country, we recognize that there's countries all over the world that lack someone to give them this good news. And because we have a heart for those people, because we don't want to see them perish, because we love them, because we're compassionate towards them, that's what motivates us to take this message to the end of the earth. Not purely excitement, not purely a drivenness, but a desire and a heart for people that need to hear the gospel. And so that starts right where we're at, and it grows to the people that are around us, and it doesn't stop until it reaches the end of the earth. So he's given us a mission, but he's also given us a mission that is for every disciple. It's for everybody. Just in case, maybe I said something that was in any way misleading earlier when we had an opportunity to give towards Lottie Moon, I want to be clear. Giving towards the gospel does not remove your obligation to share the gospel. We give so that the gospel can advance because we care about the gospel going forward. There is nothing that is given to any believer that removes the obligation for us to tell everybody we know about this Christ that has come. We see it in Matthew chapter 28. It's the it's the only other thing that we're given in the Bible that happens right before Christ ascends. That's really the last thing that we see, other than Acts chapter one that we're looking at this morning. And Jesus had gathered together his disciples, and when he had them gathered together, he told them. He said, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son." And of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. You see, to every person that was following Christ at that time, to every disciple he had personally made, everybody, I want to be really clear, these are all the people that were following Christ that really were sincerely wanting to be obedient to the Master, to all of them, he said, Go and make disciples. There is no no removing yourself from that. If, If you are a disciple of Christ, then the command to you is to make disciples, and no disciple is exempt. And so he's given us a mission. He hasn't given us a timeline, but he has given us a mission. And praise the Lord that he's given us the power to do it, too. That's the next thing that I want you to see. This isn't a mission that he's just given us, and that he's walked away from and threw his hands up. No, he's given us the power to do what he has commanded us to do. It's something we can't do alone. I mean, it's something that probably many people have tried to do alone. It's something probably that many of us who spent any time in the ministry are guilty at some point of another of thinking that they can do alone. But it's something that we can't do alone and so he's given us the power to do it and we get it twice in this passage that we read once there in verse four which is kind of before the part that we're really digging into but he tells, that he commands them he says while staying with them that's what luke says he being jesus ordered them not to depart from jerusalem okay he ordered them that's pretty strong language it's stronger than what we see in a lot of places but to wait For the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then again in verse 8, where he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so he commands us to wait on the Spirit, but he also tells us that it is the power. The Spirit is a promise to everybody who believes. I want to be clear, church, because as, as we rail sometimes against the things that we see in, in charismatic culture around us, it causes us to neglect the very real teaching of the Spirit, which is that it is, it is a promise to every single person who believes. It is the Spirit of God given to every believer. If you don't believe me, flip over to Romans chapter 8 which is just a wonderful passage anyway, but we're, we're not going to read the part that you guys are probably, all. well, maybe I'll read it just for fun, because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a totally separate subject, but uh, it warrants just telling you. In verse 9, he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Who dwells in you. you see, look at what Paul says. He says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And so then the converse is true. Anyone who does belong to Christ is promised and is given the spirit. And so as we think about this power that, is, that he has given us, it is the spirit of God that dwells in us, that gives us the power, and every one of us have it. Whether you know you got it or not, that's a question for you to search out, but every follower of Christ has the spirit. It's been given to us as a promise, but the spirit also prepares us for this mission. You see, it prepares us in two ways, really. One, as the spirit of God works in us, it sanctifies us. It conforms us more and more into the image of Christ, and so it prepares us to be ready for the mission that God has given us. It prepares us to be able to see and it prepares us to be able to hear the people that God has placed in our path because while it has been preparing us, it's also been preparing our path. It's been softening hearts. It's been providing conviction. It's been tilling up the soil and making those around us receptive to hear the gospel. And so it prepares us for the mission, it also prepares the mission for us. And it's wonderful because it, it removes, it removes when we really are depending on his spirit for the power, it removes any ability for me to say that I did anything because God prepared me and he prepared where he wanted me to go. And all I did was just show up. And that's, that, that's what, the power that we have been given. That's why he told them to wait on the Spirit because instead of just going out headstrong and doing what they think they ought to do, instead, they wait on the Spirit of God to prepare them and to prepare the field. And then they just show up and are obedient. And it it has the ability to prepare us for the mission and the mission for us because the Spirit is the power of God in us. That's what it said back there in Romans 8. It said the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. The same spirit that brought him up from the grave so that we can be a resurrection people is the spirit of God that dwells in you. And so do you wonder, if you wonder as I'm on this mission do I have the ability to say the right things? Do I, do I have the ability to remember the things that God said in his word? Do I have the ability to see what this person is going through and speak into it? No, you don't. You do not. But the spirit of God does. Amen. And it dwells in you and it is the power of God. And so when we recognize that, we have freedom to get on the mission that he has given us because he's given us the power and the authority to do it. And so we see that the Spirit is a promise to all who believe. The Spirit prepares us for the mission. It is the power of God. And it also guards, it leads, it convicts, and it emboldens us till Christ returns. I'm going to flip over to John just for a second. Now, some of you guys are thinking, I, I flipped around all these many pages on Sunday morning. That means I don't have to flip any during the week. That's not true. I want you to be writing all this stuff down. Go back, read it for yourself. Read it, read it. Make, sure, <laughs> make sure what I'm saying is right. Test it. But in John chapter 16, verse 4, when Jesus is specifically talking about this Holy Spirit that would come to all of his followers he says, I, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. I didn't need to tell you this because I've been here with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth it is to your advantage that I go away. He will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so that spirit becomes our very real aid that guards us, that leads us, that convicts us and that ultimately emboldens us for the mission that we have been given. Because we haven't been given a timeline. We have been given a mission and we have been given the power of his spirit to accomplish this. And even though we haven't been given a, t- a timeline, I kind of think we have, been given a, we have been given a deadline. It's when Christ returns. And he has promised his return. So we may not know when that return is, but we do know that our king is coming again. That is for certain. If you flip, still in Acts, right where we started out, Acts chapter 1, it says it right there in verse 9. This is, this is the, the last point that we'll eventually close on. When he said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up. A cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. And so it's absolutely promised. Go ahead, you can get that. It's fine. Um, It's absolutely promised. He is coming again. It's a guarantee. And so we don't have a, we don't have a timeline, but we, have, we do have a deadline. We have got to get about his work while we still have time. And I want to tell you a few things about that. One, I want to tell you that Jesus has gone away to make a place for us. In John chapter 14, right a couple pages over from where you had your finger there before as we were talking about the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, you guys are probably really familiar with this passage. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. He has gone to prepare a place for us, even though his return is certain right, right this moment. He is preparing a place for us. You know, it reminds me so much a couple of weeks ago of what Aaron was teaching on as he was talking about Joseph, and he was talking about this idea of their engagement, their betrothal, that is so much more than any idea that we hold now in our current culture of what this means. You see, when you were betrothed to somebody if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, if you just need a reminder, that bridegroom would go away and he would prepare the home that he would, when they were married, take his bride to. So on this commitment, on behalf of this bride, he would then put to work all of the things needed to prepare a home for them. And Christ is doing the same thing for his church. He, he has taken us at our word, at our betrothal, we are his bride and we are promised to him and the bridegroom has gone away to make a place for us. And that is good news, church. As we're thinking about it, and as we're celebrating this king who is coming again, I want to remind you that he is, the, he is that perfect bridegroom. Even as I think about myself as a husband meant to bear the image of Christ, meant to lead my wife in that way, I am not perfect but we have one who we've been promised to, who we've been betrothed to, who is perfect, who is preparing the perfect place for us, and he's gone away to do it, and he's told us that if he goes the way to do it, then he's gonna come again to get us and to bring us there. And that ought to be a message this Christmas that fills us with hope. And so he's gone away to make a place for us. So what do we do? Well, We do what is the expectation of the bride. When the bridegroom goes away, when the betrothed goes away to prepare a place, the bride is expected to be faithful. That's the expectation that even though he's not here, even though he's working to make a place for us and coming back to get us, Jesus expects us to be faithful while he's away. He's given us a job to do. We already talked about that. He has given us a mission. And so while he goes away and he makes a place for us, we're to be faithful to that mission that he has given us. And Jesus tells this story in Matthew 25. You can, one you, it's one you guys are all familiar with, I'm sure. It's the parable of the talents, right? He says there was a master and he went away from his house and he had these three servants and to one he gave five talents and to the one he gave two and to one he gave one. And when he went away, the one that had five doubled it and turned it into 10. He, he had five more. And the one who had two, he doubled it. He had two more and turned it into four. But the one who had one, he went away and he buried it and he hid it. He didn't do anything with the thing that it was that he had been given. And when the master returns in this parable that Jesus is telling him to the first two, even though one had gained five and the other had gained two, he says to both of them separately, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've taken what I've given you and you've done something with it. You've been faithful to what you've been called to do, but to the one who buried it in the ground and hid it. And, And need I remind you that he didn't lose it. He still had the one thing that he was given, but he did nothing with it. But his master answered him. This is Matthew chapter 25, verse 26. But his master answered him, you wicked and you slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. And then you ought to Have invested my money with bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to the one who has ten talents, for to the one who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, he expects us to be faithful while he's away with what he's been given us. This message, this message of the gospel, this message that there is hope, this message that we've been preaching for the last three weeks, that there is a king who has come. And he's come, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, so that we might be ambassadors, so that we might plead with those who are around us, be reconciled to God. That was the purpose of his coming, for us to be reconciled to God. That's the thing that he's given us to be faithful with, this message. And so he's gone away to make a place for us. He expects us to be faithful. And as the band comes, I'm sorry, Kevin didn't give me a clock, so I think we're, I think we're okay. That's uh, always dangerous, Kevin, though. He expects us to be faithful, but he also expects us to be ready. You see, the time to be about his work is now. And right above that parable in Matthew 25 that he told about the talents, he tells another parable. I want you to look with me. It's Matthew chapter 25, verse, verse 1. It's just above the parable of the talents. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps. And they went to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all of the virgins arose, and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourself. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Jesus expects us to be faithful, but he expects us to be ready. And we have to hold these things together. We have to hold together what we're told at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, which is that we don't know when this coming will be. We're not meant to know And for some 2,000 years and on into the future to whenever that day may be, we have to keep acting like it could be tomorrow. And we have to be faithful with the message that he has given us, and we have to be ready for his return because of the way that section in Acts chapter 1 ends, with what the angels tell them. I mean, they're rightly, I think, that's what I would be doing, If somebody right in front of my eyes went up into heaven, I mean, they're just like, totally makes sense. And yet the angel's rebuke is, look, the same way that he left is the same way that he's coming back again. He was standing right before you and he went up into heaven and there's going to be a day and a moment that's appointed by the Father that no man will miss and he's going to return in the same way that he left and it could be It could be today. And we don't know the day. And so we're left with, what do we do with this? But you church, you know. You know that nothing in his word is given us by accident. And so if it's there, there is something for us to do with it. If you're a believer in Christ, that means that you got to get on mission. You need to be about the work that he has commanded us to do while we await his second coming. In the power of his spirit, we go and we do what he has commanded us. But if you don't know Christ, I can imagine that's not nearly as hopeful of a message. That there's gonna be a day and an hour and a time when no men know, but every man will be accountable to and every person will stand before the Father at Christ's coming and he will judge the living and the dead. And if you're not sure that you're sure that you know that the thing that you're trusting in for righteousness in that moment is not anything that you have done but what Christ has done on a tree 2,000 years ago that his life That was sinless that his death that he didn't deserve but that you and i do that that paid the price for you and for me and that in his resurrection he conquered over death and hades and sin so that we might not shrink away at his second coming but that we might go into that moment that we might even meditate and think about that moment with joy knowing that it's going to be a rescue. But if it's something that fills you with dread, ask yourself, have I thrown myself on the mercy of God? Am I depending on Christ or am I depending on myself? Because if you're depending on yourself, you're going to come up short. And there won't be time to prepare. We read it already. The heavens will shake and the earth will tremble and the skies will be lighted as far as east is from west. And in that moment, it's going to be too late. In a moment, we're going to pray, church. And if you're a follower of Christ, I'd ask you to just ask the Lord to show you where he would have you be on mission. It's clear that he wants you on mission. Don't ask God, what is your plan for me? Ask God, where is your plan for me? He's already given you the plan. There's no, it's not gonna change his mind. The question is just where? Where do I need to open my mouth? Where are there people around me that need this message? God, give me the boldness to do it and take me wherever you wanna take me until everybody hears. If you are a follower of Christ, that's what I want you to spend time searching your heart and asking God. But if you're not, right there in that moment, when we all bow our heads to pray. You can ask for forgiveness. He won't turn you away. This God that would condescend to take on flesh that we've celebrated this whole Christmas season, that he would leave heaven and become a person. That he would leave all the glory and honor and praise that he deserves to take on flesh and to be nursed and to be carried around and to be despised and to be killed on a cross, he certainly would not turn you away. If you would only come to him, if you would only earnestly seek his forgiveness, he will forgive you. And not only that, he will cleanse you and he will restore you into that right relationship with the Lord so that you might get on his mission too. We're gonna pray, church, and I'll be ready. I'll be ready when we finish to receive anybody who wants to come and wants to believe or wants to join in fellowship with this place, this moment is for you to respond. Heavenly Father, I thank you for such a wonderful passage, Lord, that in your wisdom you have given us. This message with so much depth for things for us to ponder, Lord, for us to wonder, as we sit and as we think about the fact that your son is returning and we wonder if we're ready. If, and we wonder if we're clinging to things that are less than what you have called us to do. God, I pray that in this moment you would open our hearts and that you would open our eyes, Lord, and you would help us to see the world that is around us the way that you see it, dead and dying and in need of a Savior, Lord, and that we are the ones that you have entrusted with that message. Help us to see the people that you want us to go to and give us the boldness to do it and then carry us to the next person, Lord, and on and on, Lord, and give us a heart and give us compassion, and give us love for the people that are around us that we would not want to see any of them perish. And Lord, for the one that's in this place, Lord, that needs your salvation, humble them. Help them to cry out to you. Open their eyes to see that there is only one name under heaven given by which man can be saved and it's not mine and it's not any of theirs and it's the name of of your son, Jesus. And help them to cry out to him, to trust him. And to want to follow him and give them boldness to come and to tell this church, but to tell the whole world. We love you and we thank you and we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.